This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Five one two Friday edition of All Don't Lie right here on 104. Now on the horn, you can always be a part of the show. Um, hit us up on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Speaking of 512, uh, 512 Fridays when we play jams from local bands and artists uh, that you can go listen to live right here in the ATX, the live music capital of the world. Uh, who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is the Night Owls, and they're playing Saturday at Antones. I uh, actually know what that is, too, uh, but definitely um, not... Not cool enough to go to Antones anymore. Not cool enough to go to Antones? Nah. I mean, I tell you, Antones is not, I don't know if they have a lot of, it's the hippest, like, young people place anymore. Oh, I not mean, anymore? Okay, No, I mean, like, you know, it's a blues club. So, so, so yeah, in a, theory, it's a blues club. In theory. I like the way you said that. In theory, <laughs> it's a blues club. Uh, but it's a nice place. It's a nice place. I, I, maybe Staples just played there. This is one of those things I used to do back in the day, so maybe I just assumed that this is something that younger people No, but, like, with. I know, maybe yeah. Staples played there, like, earlier this week. True. So if you have if you have people like that, then you're gonna have you can have clientele of all sorts. Very true. Good point. Yeah, but I definitely didn't go there. I don't think on a lot of weeknights. No. Yeah, I no. guess weeknights different vibe. Exactly. There weekends different different. Yeah, vibe. I don't go downtown on the weekends very much. Like <laughs> I don't go downtown very much at all. But the, uh, on exactly. the weekends, especially, you're just like, man, this is amateur hour. Y'all trying to get out. You were down there last night because you was working. That was Thursday, though. Uh, that uh, <laughs> some people consider it Thursday now. Young people do the weekend basically. Young people do. Young people. And, and, my butt's at work right now. <laughs> exactly. As you get older, <laughs> Thursday is not the weekend. When you're young, you're like, oh, Thursday's the weekend. Friday, I'm going to spend the whole Friday partying anyway. Uh, all right. Friday, uh, obviously, here a uh, a 512 Friday, but also a lot of football discussion on the show. We'll talk some Texas football here. They got a commitment from a five-star linebacker, Anthony Hill, from Den Ryan, best linebacker, or at least I should say highest rated linebacker in the country um he is the in the 2023 class and he is now one of four linebackers so the the uh, longhorns will be bringing in in this class uh, uh leona lifau uh darian galette and samaje burrell are the other three linebackers that are bringing in obviously they think there's a hole there so they're trying to make sure that they got as many options at linebacker as possible. You're losing to Marvion Overshone, of course. Um, uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey's done. Um, also, uh, Jet Bush, I think, is another guy that gave you some snaps at uh, linebacker. He's out. So they need some um, some young um young bodies, if you will, to kind of throw into the mix at linebacker. You got Jalen Ford coming back. And, you know, he's one of the best linebackers in the country. I haven't heard anything otherwise, so I'm assuming that Jalen Ford's coming back. And based on Jalen Ford's development, there's a good chance you could see a lot of young linebackers play next year um, because they're trying to kind of expedite development at that particular position. We just talked about how important and how essential linebackers are when you're trying to play defense in a modern you know, pace and space spread world. You need those guys to be able to adapt uh, and be really, really versatile. I've said it before. I think you look at the skills and the traits 
that are essential to playing linebacker at a really high level. I believe them to be more wide ranging and more versatile probably than any other position in football. Maybe the nickel position after that is probably the other one, your nickel safety or your nickel corner. Uh, But you ask a lot. There's a ton of a burden, if you will, on the linebacker position. And especially with those guys trying to be exploited in space. um, And you go look at Texas best defenses they've had over the last mm, decade or so. 15 years or so, the central nervous system is always stabilized by great linebacker play. Uh, you in 2017, you had your you know, you know Gary Johnson, Malik Jefferson group there last year or this past season, I should say. Jalen Ford, Marvin Overshone, two first team all Big 12 linebackers. 2014, you had Jordan Hicks um, and Steve Edmond. I know Steve Edmond didn't play at the high level, but I think he was an all conference caliber linebacker at that time in 2014. And then in 2011, really good defense um, under Manny Diaz, and you had Manny Acho and Keenan Robinson as your linebackers. So those are the guys that kind of stabilize the core of your defense in a and that's the that's the central communication center, right? It's not only the central nervous system, but that's the communication center of your defense um, between the the back seven, your safeties, and whoever your off ball linebackers are. Those are the guys that are controlling all the traffic. Those are the guys that are making all the audibles and the checks. I think the importance of that position is increasing day by day um, in the modern game. But getting back to Anthony Hill. Um, 6'2", 225, inside linebacker, uh, top. Uh, and by the way, he projects to be any linebacker position. You can put him off ball. You you can put you know more weight on him and put him on the outside. He's got sideline to sideline speed that does translate to you know power really well. Uh, so he can play inside and take on blocks, but also translate to him having good bend and being a guy that can play on the edge for you as a pass rusher too. Probably got to refine the. You know, the technique as a pass rusher, but he's got all the raw tools at 6'2", 225. He's he got a ton of upside, probably more upside at edge than he does at off-ball linebacker. In the modern game, though, and I talk about positionless football all the time, he should be one of those guys that you think about moving around the chessboard. You should never pigeonhole him and typecast him into being a player that has to play here at one position. The beauty of a guy with this type of upside and this wide-ranging skill set, he can make you versatile and make you multiple. So I, that's one of the guys I would prioritize uh, moving him around. Yeah, have him on the edge sometimes. Depending on the matchup, you can have him as an off-ball linebacker. You'll have more of those guys um, that you can you know, move around that are very versatile, that have multiplicity in their skill set, and he's definitely one of them. He's a do-it-all, second-level defender, though. I mean, he's got speed to pursue from the backside and make plays. Um, he can take on blocks on the front side of plays, turn them back inside, um, reads plays really well. Sometimes he's caught up in the trash a little bit too much, but that happens with young linebackers, and he'll have a better defensive line in front of him at Texas to keep him clean. Uh, this is a guy that you could see playing as a freshman at Texas um, right away. Highest-rated defensive player uh, that Texas has in, when he signs, I guess it will be, uh, since Malik Jefferson. So Malik was a five-star and was one of the highest-graded players. And he was a guy that also could have moved around. Probably could have played on the edge for you, played off-ball linebacker for you, and they didn't start moving him around more until later on in his career, and it worked out really well for him. Um, so now Texas has the number three recruiting class overall. They got the, the top quarterback in the 2023 class in Arch Manning. Top running back in the 2023 class with Cedric Baxter and the top linebacker now with Anthony Hill in the country. 
So number number one at all those positions now um, at real quarterback, running back, and linebacker all coming in the same class in 2023. That's a hell of a haul for Sark and the coaches. Um, that's they're number three right now, and I believe they got room for one more. They did get a tight end recently uh, on uh, to this 2023 class. I think that dropped earlier today. The Texas commit uh, um, was it matter? Uh, is it matter matter D or matter day? I think it's matter day. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I think it's Matter Day. Spencer Shannon, uh, I believe is his name. Um, and he's a 2023 Texas commit as a tight end. You know, Sark working at West Coast um, has to keep a footprint there. He's been doing a really good job uh, getting some of those guys off the West Coast, some of those uh, blue chips out of California. And right now, that, that you know, 2023 class, number three in the country. I, I said earlier they had a chance, um, I thought, potentially to, to get the number one spot. Maybe they still do mathematically. Um, but yeah, it had to be... Some other school would have to probably drop off or have some type of regression. Yeah, uh, but, but we know well enough of watching this over the years. The yeah. number of what you're recruiting class doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It's development. It's keeping guys there. It's it's because Texas had plenty of great recruiting classes that either transferred out, didn't play, didn't develop, and it didn't matter to, man, if, we're, if you're in the top five, you probably got a really, really good recruiting class in every opportunity to make them uh, a national championship level team. Talent acquisition has not been the problem for Texas. It is very true. Yeah, we all agree with that, no question. And uh, I think one of the best examples of talent development was Jalen Ford. Um, should have won D- Texas. Should have won Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, but definitely the most improved player for Texas defense or offense, and one of the best linebackers in the country. So give a ton of props to Jeff Choate and a ton of props to PK um, because if you're looking at his rate of development and you're a linebacker coming in, you got to be pleased with what Jeff Choate has done. And I- I've looked at the linebacker position, you know, these days, and like I said, it's really. Just an extremely tough and difficult position to play uh, with everything that's asked of linebackers. You have to have a real, real wide, wide ranging skill set, and you got to be instinctual and really versatile. I, I do think you know for Texas, they're starting to recognize some of that. I mean, you go look at the two linebackers that were all Big Twelve this past season. That was Demarvin Overshone. He was a safety. They spent down to linebacker Jalen Ford. Took him a little while. He was a bit of a project. Came in as a, a a light linebacker, but works really well in space. That's why he's got you know the, the record or tied for the record with interceptions on the forty acres. Last year, you had guys like Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State. There were the All Conference linebackers. That's a guy that played quarterback that didn't borrowed in as a safety at Oklahoma State, end up playing linebacker, and you know was a wrestler in high school. Most of these are developmental projects usually at linebacker in the last few years. They're athletes that you decided to you know to, to place at the linebacker position um, because high school with the proliferation of the spread, they're not really producing the linebackers you need got the athletes you need to develop into a linebacker to refine and cultivate that skill um but you you're not getting them right out of high school this is one guy that actually is ready made as a linebacker coming out of high school that's why he's the number one linebacker in the country but like i just said even with Jalen ford even demarvin overshawn most of the time you're getting developmental projects so this is a huge luxury for texas to be able to get a linebacker that's essentially ready to go i mean you gotta you know teach him to play the position at a higher level and make sure that you are are really you know devoted to building his foundation with the fundamentals and technique, of course. But in terms of a guy that you have to mold into being a linebacker, you ain't got to do that with this dude. 
He, he's linebacker already. I mean, it took you to Marvin Oshon like a, two years to figure out how to play linebacker because he was coming from the safety position. I think it took Jaden Ford uh, like a year or two to you know, really deal with the physicality at the next level at the linebacker position because he came in a little light, was a linebacker, but still came in a little light. This guy's not. And he's violent. He's violent. That's a, one of the best descriptions of his game. He is a violent player. He strikes you, which is, you know, I mean, that's exactly what you want if you're a linebacker coach or a defensive coordinator. So that's a, a great uh, get for Texas. Um, at one point, he was committed to AM and then decommitted from AM and decided last night with Sark and the coaches in home to uh, announce his commitment um, to Texas uh, via social media. So, uh, congrats to uh, the coaches over there. That's big, that's huge for them. Because, you know, this they've proven now in back-to-back cycles that, you know, they can recruit. Now, I know the name, image, and likeness era helps with that, too, uh, because, you know, you got to weaponize name, image, and likeness. Shout out to the BMDs, big money donors and boosters out there doing their thing, too, because <laughs> uh, I'm sure that, you know, the NIL is a factor in all of this, which everything is. It, it is these days. It has to be. Uh, it's a free market, <laughs> free market and free agency essentially hitting college sports. Uh, but I think for Texas now, a you know, a number three recruiting class coming off an eight win season. Could be a nine win season uh, with the bowl game. Uh, that's a lot of momentum. And Arch Manning coming in. That's a ton of momentum going into next season. My biggest question is, and this kind of leads us to the next topic, because I saw that Rojo and Bijan made Mel Kuyper's uh, top ten list of running backs on his big board. He, his big board is his, his – you know, best players ranked regardless of position. Um, and then he goes into uh, the positional rankings. He's got both Rojo and Bijan as top 10 running backs. Bijan's the best running back on his board. Um, and he's got Rojo as the number 10 running back on his board. And uh, we know Todd McShay last week um, said that in his mock draft, he had you know, Bijan mocked as the number five overall pick to the Eagles. So I'm sure that he's also got Bijan as his top running back. I'm not sure where he has Rojo. I haven't looked at Todd McShay's positional rankings. But it just made me think about how important this bowl game is for Texas, especially losing your best leader and your best player and both playing the same position at running back. And I'm hearing great things about Jonathan Brooks. Everybody's really excited about Jonathan Brooks. He's a hell of a player. Yeah, I think that guy probably end up playing in the NFL too. But Bijan and Rojo are special. Um, and that combination is special. We know that based on the draft uh, evaluations and the mock drafts, uh, we know that just from our eye tests. We know that from the stories about Rojo and his leadership – that's the identity of the team. It's the identity of the, the leadership of the team and the identity of the actual offense. And toward the end of the season, it was all about Bijan and Rojo. In this bowl game, it's going to be a new offensive identity. And what will it be? Yeah, that is a, it's a big question. It's a big question of how much does Quinn Ewers, do we see the improvement of? We saw him. We saw a little bit of regression there at the end of the season of things starting to not go his way probably for the first time in his playing career. Probably so. And so it's like, hey, man, this kid, you can turn the nose, you can put the nose up on this plane real easy and show up and be like, oh, no, no, I am that talented. I can't. And he, mm-hmm. he can show up in this game and be like, hey, man, just letting y'all know, I know Arch is coming, but he can redshirt because look how good I'm playing right now. Exactly. And he can do that in this bowl game. And I get it's hard to do because, they, man, they're going to be like, no, run the ball on us. 
Come on, come on. Hey, we know you're two two run backs. You use all your right here. Yeah, we can look on the sideline and tell you you don't have that. So you're gonna have to use Jonathan Brooks just because you're gonna have to make them respect the run game again. And Keelan Robinson. And um, Keelan Robinson. And but you're gonna have to use those guys to get them to respect the run game. But it is this is a big statement game for Quinn Ewers of, hey man, I want to show you that this is how much I can improve in a month. Imagine a whole off season now that I get to work on this. Imagine what I'm going to be coming back next season. Yeah, it's just thinking about that offense without a Bijan and without a Rojo, and gives me a little pause. A little, oh, yeah. It makes me a little anxious. It's just because like you don't have your best leader and your best player. You know the offense is going to look different. you got a high-level offensive mind in Steve Sarkeesian, so you're good. They're just going to come up with a creative uh, scheme, and I think it will be effective too, um, but – Man, Bijan was and Rojo too. They were two of the ultimate erasers. And when I talk about erasers, I mean, you know, it's hard to you know get perfection on a football play, right? It's hard to achieve perfection on doing on a football play. You get perfection in in snippets in football. You get them in in flashes, glances, little a second and a half of perfection of a block. Yeah, <laughs> right. You get a you get a second a, a route came out of a route the right way, or you know I got the break fast enough. You get you get a little split second of perfection. The whole play ain't gonna be perfection, but you'll get a little bit of it. A perfect technique, the perfect you know hand placement, the perfect footwork here there, and that helps you. But most of the time, you deal with imperfections. You got eleven human beings out there. You're playing chess with human beings, and it's gonna be mistakes made. And sometimes it's uh, mistakes made by you know, half or the more than half of the eleven guys out there, and that's when you lose on the play ultimately. But guys like Bijan, think about how many times he's supposed to be—he was supposed to be tackled in the backfield. Yep. And then he decided to evade it, and he made a move, turned a five-yard loss into a three-yard gain. You know, he's in Rojo. Do the same. Rojo actually, I think if you look at, um, man, if you get yards after contact, he actually had more impressive numbers. Yards have to contact per rush than Bijan did at one point in the season, late there in the season. Bijan surpassed him uh, once, you know, those last two games where he became the focal point of the offense as well as he should have been all year long. Um, but I digress. Um, both of those guys, man, they, they really were great erasers and they could erase the mistakes of their teammates. Um, they, you know, they're not going to have that. And Jonathan Brooks will make enough plays on his own no, and, and, I, and, and beat guys, but Bijan did it consistently and multiple times on plays with, with the most frequency probably of any player in the country. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, and I mean, but I think this is another thing, too, we get to look at is this O-line that was very young this year. Very true. That this O-line gets a month to kind of rest up and heal up a little bit, which is big for anyone in the trenches. Yep. And go, hey, man, so we, we you guys have got all the confidence now. You're not walking. You don't feel like you're freshmen anymore. You don't feel like you're sophomores anymore because you've had a full year in it. Can you come out healthy and just make Jonathan Brooks' life real easy for him? and dominate enough that, okay, everything becomes a little bit easier because you're winning that battle by so much. It's a great point. I mean, there's probably a better chance of the the, the new identity of the offense being built around the O-line yeah. than necessarily around Quinn's arm talent, which I think one day it will be built around Quinn's uh, tremendous, extraordinary arm talent. But right now, if you're looking at just the – the uh, accumulation of talent on the O-line that yeah. you're about to have. And now the experience of having two freshmen that played all the way through the season, not even considered freshmen anymore, of course. Um, and then the offensive line haul you brought in last year, which was one of the best in recruiting history. 
Yeah. I mean, you lost some guys. Andre Carrick uh, in the transfer portal. Uh, recently, what's the other guy? Forget. Uh, Junior Angelo? Yes, thank you very but much. But he wasn't playing this year anyway. But I you know, did, but uh, yeah, he's, just losing he's a bodies. Leader, you're losing bodies. You're losing bodies. Uh, he was and, in it, but better yes. in experience. But I think the yeah. upside of the guys you have there are tremendous. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's maybe you keep the, the user-friendly quarterback system that you implemented late in the year. And now maybe the offense isn't built necessarily around Bijan and, and Rojo like it was uh, late in the year, and it should have been. But it's just built around the supremacy of the O line. Yeah, and, and how, I mean how how they can dominate up front. Well, and I mean if you look at the difference of how defenses are going to play against them, and how Washington defensively is going to play against this Texas team, there is a big defensive game plan adjustment when Bijan's not oh. on the field. Because basically every defense was built. We have to stop Bijan because if we don't even try and st- if we don't load up on him, then we lose. Yeah. So now when you don't necessarily have to do that, well now, okay, can the O-line just push through their way and Jonathan Brooks go, hey man, you should have known. Like, I'm mm-hmm. here to play too. There's a chance where you could push through that and that will finally lead to what you always wanted, which is, hey, everybody's got to come up mm-hmm. so we can use Quinn's amazing arm talent over the top on guys and get him into single coverage and not have X-Man in double coverage every single play. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. So teams are you know, I think they'll start out. I think they'll give Texas the run. I would. I, mean, I think you've got you to make them prove it first, Rojo. right? Exactly. You lost Bijan and Rojo. I'm dropping guys back. I'm playing with a. I'm not gonna play necessarily a light box, uh, but I'm not gonna prioritize stacking the box against Texas until they start to gouge me with it. And remember, Sark does say that he his offense is an RPO based offense that takes the run when they give it to us. And I guarantee, you if Washington is smart, they're gonna give Texas the run game. I'd give it to them all day, every day, and twice on Sunday, and I'd be worried about. X-Man, Jay Witt, and your all-conference tight end and J.T. Sanders yeah. in the passing game. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, it's- I mean, that's that's a definite look of, uh, hey, man, let's we think we can try and get a pass rush on Quinn. We're going to try and get to the quarterback, mm-hmm. and we're going to try and just make sure that nothing's out there so we can get – because we know Sark's going to throw it. We know even if they the running game's working, we know he's going to throw it on his opening drive because he always does. So let's start off this way. And if they end up beating us and and they're just running the ball on us, because we have a game. We we've had two you know a month of practices. We're yep. ready. We're ready to switch to that game plan. But you got to make us do it first I agree. because we don't think you're going to do it, Sark. And I I would say Sark he didn't he stopped taking those shots the last two games. Yeah. He kind of stopped taking those shots. But yeah, you want he, he's jonesing for that deep ball. You know, it's, <laughs> he loves him that deep ball. I need that deep ball, baby. Uh, all right, we'll come back. We'll get into uh, the new. NCAA president. They've hired an NCAA president, or at least they, I don't think he's taken over officially yet, but they announced the hire of a new NCAA president. We'll talk about the new CEO of the NCAA and why anyone would want that job. Right here on Ball Don't Lie on 1049 The Horn. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a 512 Friday. We play jams from local bands and artists that you can catch right here in the ATX. Who are we jamming right now, Patrick? This is Intergalactic featuring the Groove Line Horns. Groove Line Horns, you've heard me talk about. I go see them on Tuesday nights. We play every Tuesday night at Seaboy's Heart and Soul. Uh, they're the guys with the horn section of that Matthew McConaughey video. They uh, have been on Saturday Night Live. They've been on uh, massive stages before. Nice. Uh, toured around the world. But they're, they're from here, so they do a residency every Tuesday night because they were like, 
you know, this is a night when none of us are really playing other gigs. We just talked about going out on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. So <laughs> nobody's up there. That's the hangman. A yeah. bunch of musicians roll through there. They got an MC. They've got a singer. It is it is a party on Tuesday nights. Uh, That's really cool. All right. Uh, there you go, my man Patrick. Always uh, hooking you up, see, giving you ideas about where you can go hang out, and uh, it'll make you look cool to all your friends and family. All right. Uh, we'll come back uh, into – sorry, we'll get back to uh, the conversation here. I want to start with the NCAA's new hire. Uh, they hired a new president. Um, the president, they announced it, but after he takes over um, next year officially at the calendar, the new, uh, the new calendar year, uh, but Massachusetts Governor – Charlie Baker um, is going to be the new, the next president of the NCAA. Um, he'll take over the organization effective March 1st. It's going to succeed Mark Emmert, who assumed his position in 2010. Um, he'll be the sixth CEO of basically the NCAA, which I don't, man, the only reason this makes sense, he's the first outsider, um, someone outside of the NCAA. Um, to hire for this position. Usually it's somebody who's been working with them or somebody who works within that organization. Um, this is an outside hire that does fit some of the recent conference outside-the-box hires. George Klyovkov, Pac-12 commissioner, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, uh, Brett Yormark recently, the commissioner of the Big 12. So there have been more and more outside-the-box hires, and usually there's a purpose for that, right? You want There's a reason that you're making that outside-the-box hire that – you know, that uh, non-traditional hire. And I think the reason for Charlie Baker would be the NCAA understands that now they are, you know, they're, they're pretty much toothless, right? They're toothless, um, borderline criminal, in, you know, enterprise, if you ask me. But they, they are, they, they're, they're an enemy of the courts, right? The courts don't like them. The Supreme Court has basically challenged anybody to bring them cases about the NCAA so they can help gut the NCAA. And we learned that from the Austin case. Uh, the bipartisan opposition. I mean, both sides hate the NCAA. <laughs> Every, and then coaches, players, conference commissioners, nobody likes the NCAA. And if you look at it, they have decided to relinquish more power. They punted on COVID, gave that power to the conferences. Y'all decided whatever y'all want to do. They punted on NIL. Decided, nah, that's a state's rights thing. We're not going to touch NIL either. They punted on both of those things. Um, so, and they've installed kind of a laissez-faire attitude when it comes to the transfer portal too. So, with all the most important, relevant issues of the day <laughs> that are supposed to be under the jurisdiction of the largest governing body in college sports, they've decided, nah, we don't really want to address those issues. Because some of those are moral issues, ethical issues, and they have a money compass and not a moral compass. Uh, so I think that the, the NCAA is a they're a dinosaur. And honestly, NIL is probably the asteroid that ends up, you know, taking out the NCAA. Yeah. I mean, it's that it's it's that. And then the college football playoff and all these yep. guys realizing like, oh, we can just do it ourselves. Or that too. Like we don't need them anymore. The game is past them by. I wonder how much of this hire is trying to get somebody that they feel at least is a political insider yeah. to maybe try and get them a little more leeway of when they feel the lawsuits are going to come from these schools and these conferences basically saying, you have to let us out of these deals, you are borderline criminal syndicate, yep. that they will have political polls enough for them to say, no, 
we have all these these legal rules. We're, this is about the law that you have to keep giving us money for doing nothing. They can try that. That's a good point. But my, I think this is why everybody was really surprised by how NIL swept the country. First of all, because it's about straight cash, homie. And it's about uh, you know representing your state allegiances, your state schools, that kind of stuff, to making sure that they can compete in the NIL world, the new uh, free market, if you will, of college sports. It's already proven through bipartisan partisan support in a lot of these states that they don't support the NCAA anymore. Oh, that yeah. They support this new kind of era of um, the free market in college sports, which the NCAA has been vehemently against for so long. And I don't know, and I agree with you, I think they are bringing Charlie Baker in because they want some political clout, um, some political capital that will help them. I don't think it will, though. No, I, I don't think it. Yeah. I mean, just in the fact that— gonna it, work. The whole thing with the NIL that still blows my mind is it took uh, everyone's just like, yeah, well, no, the players are getting paid. And you're like, the NCAA took a 0% pay cut to make this happen. They're not paying the players any money. No. The NCAA did not lose a dime no. in this. They probably made money because the game makes more money now. Good point. They were just, they, you're right, they, it, it cost them nothing. And we learned this from the Ed O'Bannon case. Remember, EA Sports came out publicly and said, we probably won't make any a uh, ton of money from it, but the game, the college football game, is so popular. We'll pay the players for their likeness and yeah. their image. We'll pay them, and we just—it's a cult classic for us. It just is our best marketing tool. We will pay the players. We probably won't make enough, you know, a ton of money now, but it's okay. We'll do that. NCAA didn't have to pay them anything, and then this NCAA said no. They said, no, these players just getting money to us makes us uncomfortable because yeah. they know that would lead to them being empowered. Exactly. And they didn't, they didn't want an empowered group of student-athletes, and now they got to deal with it. So NIL is basically the, the compromise between the professionalism and amateurism. It was, it's the great compromise, and honestly, that will probably be broken up sometime soon, too. It's, it's, basically, it's basically you having a job, and you're like, hey, man, can I get a raise? And they go, no, but you can get a second job. Hey man, we'll we'll go ahead and allow you some flexibility in your hours to get a That's second exactly job. What it is, yeah. And you're you know like, what? Wait, wait, you're not paying me any more money. <laughs> cool with that? Yeah. And you're right about that. Um speaking of NIL, I want to get to this topic because I think it's interesting. So um it was said Dave Biddle, he covers he he covers Ohio State for uh Bucknut Sports. And um he said on 97.1, which is his radio show, and he covers it with CBS Sports and covers them for uh, also, basically, they're, they're 24-7 uh, sports and CBS Sports. Like, they are the same entity now. And he said Ohio State missed out on a five-star recruit because they could not pay him even half of what he was looking for. He said they didn't get him over 750 k This is causing a lot of ruckus in uh, Ohio State country, in Buckeye country. Um, another nugget, he said, uh, Georgia offered the kid $1.8 million to sign at eight hundred k a season. Ohio State couldn't get him more than five hundred k And there's another um, memo that was sent out to all the boosters and donors and fans of Ohio State by Gene Smith, the AD, who was soliciting funds, saying, hey, man, we need to support these NIL collectives and try to get them more money. Ohio State fans are taking this as, you know, DEFCON levels of panic that, oh, man, Ohio State's not really ready to compete in the new NIL world. Um, here's the quote from 
uh, Dave Biddle. He says, there was a young man I was told he was given three years, 750K, a senior recruit, five-star, wanted to come to Ohio State, didn't even need Ohio State to match the offer, just needed it to be somewhere in the ballpark, maybe even half, and Ohio State couldn't do it, so they lost out on a kid who wanted to be a Buckeye because he was bought for 750 K. I already knew things were bad, but when but when uh, Gene Smith asking for donations, uh, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is Defcon three levels." I've heard things like they have a new a war chest over there in Florida of about three million. There was a guy from Florida Gator Collective that came on uh, and said they have a war chest of thirty million. Ohio State is ten times behind them, so a lot of these people are freaking out. And remember, you go back. Um, what was that, man? That had to be like in June, maybe June or July. Ryan Day told a group of boosters up there uh, at Ohio State basically that it, it, would, it would take him around $13 million to keep an elite football roster together. That was the number that he threw out there, right? Remember that, $13 million? Yeah. Uh, and I believe he started going over specific figures. He said like $2 million for a, a quarterback, and I believe the number that he threw out there for a, a defensive end or a high-level tackle was around a million dollars per. He'd start throwing these numbers. Oh, here's the quote. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, basically, to deal with it, they set the, set the bar at $13 million, basically, to keep an elite roster together. Um, and he said $2 million in NIO money for elite quarterbacks, major offensive tackles, and Ed Rogers will cost you about a million dollars each. So now everybody's, everybody in Buckeye Country is putting it together to – you know, they're freaking out saying, oh, man, maybe Ohio State's not ready to compete in the NIO world. I mean, I have heard from and I thought some of these you know, numbers were absurd and they are absurd. Um, but there is that kind of money being thrown around no, for these big time top level recruits. Not everybody. You got to be elite five star top at guy at your position kind of stuff. But yeah. those guys, those guys are getting some crazy numbers thrown at them. And they are. And I mean, crazy. Dollar now, they're, it's funny because. Again, nothing can be in writing, nothing can be done, and so we're seeing yep. some cases of these guys being promised something, go to a school, and then immediately unhappy because they get they once they walk on campus, they go, okay, well, we told you we were going to give you a million dollars, so here's what we need. We need this, 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 this. If you're performance-based, you can make up to a million. They go, wait, 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 wait. I thought I was going to get checked for a million dollars, like you were going to hand me a bag. You go, no. No. But no, no. If you win a national yeah. championship that's some, that's, and the yeah. Heisman, you get a million dollars. If you go six and three and six and six – you get two hundred fifty thousand, and they're like, well, "Well, I wouldn't have come here." And they go, well, "Too late now." Yeah, it, you hit well, the transfer portal after this year. I was gonna say it ain't, it ain't too late because they hit the transfer portal. But that's yeah. the thing is, I, you're seeing this where some of these people are not getting everything. It's just a weird landscape right now oh, no, because it's, like, it's, a, it's a it's a purgatory and it's gray area and it's more gray yeah. than black and white actually. And everybody thinks these <laughs> the biggest schools have all of this money because they do yeah. because they, they go on a recruiting trip and they go, well, "I mean, you just spent." But that's the university's money. No, I get that. But they go, they, they go. You spent two hundred thousand dollars on me and two of my teammates to come for the weekend, right? Yeah. And then you gonna offer me a check for a hundred thousand if I come? Just give me the two hundred grand and I'll come. Yeah, but that I agree. I don't. With. I don't need. To, I don't need that, the, that's the fancy the, food. That's <laughs> the perception is reality thing. That's the university's money. The NIL world is not about the university's exactly. money. It's about boosters, donors, collectives, which are groups of really. Uh, affluent folks who get together support the university uh, via NIL and what they call directives and I think 
the key is the directives. I, I and I know that there's some I don't know kind of crowdsourcing going on where they do want um, kind of regular average Joes and citizens, you know, middle class folks to give twenty, thirty dollars here and there to try to support collectives. And I'm sure that that's happening. No, no doubt about it. But the truth is, if you're trying to get that five star top guy at his position, you need directives. You need sugar daddies. And to me, I think it all comes down to kind of sugar daddies. Yeah. How rich your big your richest boosters are, because a lot of this is not about your your return on investment won't necessarily be mon- monetary all no. the time. It's going to be a different type of return on that investment, and that's why I think uh, there's a great example of it um, with uh, Miami. Uh, Miami, they got their, <laughs> they probably have one of the most flagrant examples of basically a sugar daddy. He, uh, Ruiz is his name. He's basically he's he's basically said that he will uh, alone, as they call them directives. He alone will support Florida sports and almost boost the NIL game by himself. Um, here's the numbers that he's throwing out. There's, his name is um, uh, Ruiz. He's a Kansas State. It's in. He's I guess is uh, he's the one that got into trouble with the Kansas State transfer. Remember that guy that was yeah. in basketball. That guy. Um, but <laughs> apparently. He has thrown around some time. He's a billionaire, John Ruiz, South Florida billionaire. Um, and he's got two companies, Life Wallet and, and some cigarette uh, boat racing team. Um, and basically he employs <laughs> a, a good amount. He's already spent, uh, he said he's investing as much as $10 million in NIL ventures. Um, and he's going to use different student athletes to help him endorse and promote all of his different companies, whatever they may be. And dude, he's spending you know four, three to four million dollars already. Yeah. He's just buying athletes straight up. No, not not in a derogatory, mean way, yeah, disrespectful yeah. way. Um, but I think that's what you need well, right now, since the NIL doesn't have a ton of rules and it is very vague and doesn't have regulation. You need people that's just going to outspend and and pretty much outbid other boosters and donors for the services of that young player. Yeah, but this is why I also think the Big Ten has been talking about trying to change the game even more. They are. And trying to go and get what unionize or whatever else they're talking about doing to basically change it to be like, look, we get it. This NIL stuff, it has a life expectancy on it because these sugar daddies are going to get mad and stop giving the money. And if you're relying on one guy and that guy all of a sudden doesn't like your AD or doesn't like your coach or he decides, hey, man, I've gotten zero return on investment, and you guys missed the college football playoff again, you're not even ranked, cool, you get zero of my dollars now, and I was basing my entire plan on your money, they realize that's unsustainable for a lot of these schools. And if you go, hey, man, but if we can create a way that we we know the schools have money, we know we're making hand over fist yep. in football profits, if we can be the first conference to pay out of TV revenue and everything else, these kids, then guess what? Everyone will come here because it's in contract. And everyone know, and everyone's mom will go. They they said in writing you're going to get two hundred grand in writing before we go to that school two hundred grand, and the other school says maybe you can get a hundred, maybe you can get five hundred, but that's in writing. We're going there, yeah, because I want I want in writing, and it won't be settled. It'll be settled in the courts definitely. But that's that's why yeah. I think the Big Ten is trying <laughs> yeah. to aim in that direction. Of now, there's a lot of potholes to get there. A lot of red tape. A lot of red tape and insurance is insane yeah. and health. But I think that's yeah. where they know is they're like man. These people are throwing, you know, you're investing. You go, man, I'll invest $10 million. And now four years down the line, well, $10 million is gone. What are we doing? Well, we just fired our second coach. And all those players are now transferred out. And you spent $10 million on 
absolutely nothing. But that's why I said he's a he, he's a billionaire. He doesn't really care that no, no, much I get about that, the ten million. That's no, why every school has. That's that. why it's got to be sugar daddies. That's yeah. why it's got to be guys who do have but, so much. They got fu money where they're not going to miss the ten million. Yeah. It's not going to break them. Every school doesn't have that, and I think that's kind of the separation. Ohio State does have that. Of course, they have it. Um, but even Ohio State, you can see that. It's been reported they're losing out on some of these players too because you can't bid for everybody. No, and and, 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 <laughs> and if we know one thing about billionaires, the way you become a billionaire is by not spending your money. Yeah. So no. especially not on bad investments like paying players that you will never see that money back. No, it, it is it matters to Texas because Texas. I know Texas wants to be a player and an influencer and a name yeah. image and likeness world. They want to be the kind of the capital of, of of name image and likeness in uh, college sports. And they they have the ability to do it. They have the resources to do it. Um, but it is a strange, weird game um, right now in the NIL world that not everybody's winning. Texas is winning right now. I think Texas is winning that game. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit more. But I thought that was an interesting nugget to share from Ohio State. We'll come back. Drew Brees has another gig, a new gig, I should say. Uh, we'll talk about that on the other side right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful night the horn. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. D.D. Mega Doo-Doo, I'm sorry, Mangoodoo. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a break the egg comb. Congratulations. Continue good sex in the the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Time to get to another edition of Off the Record here. And this one actually uh, took me by surprise. I thought it was a prank story at first. It was not. Uh, Drew Brees, yes, Austin's own Drew Brees, um, he is um, going to join, at least temporarily, going to join the coaching staff at Purdue University. Yeah, at his alma mater. Uh, This was announced by the athletic director Mike Bobinski. Um, Sir, Purdue University is fortunate to have alumni who are impactful leaders in industries and careers across a wide spectrum, including professional football. For more than two decades, Drew Brees has shown uh, what uh, makes the Boilermaker special. He was an elite football player, but most of all, Drew is an extraordinary leader, gaining insights uh, on the football field and our coaching offices during this time of transition will be of great value to our student-athletes and staff. We are grateful to Drew for uh, his willingness to share his time and expertise in yet another show of support for the Boilermakers. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, Ryan Walters that's going to be the new head coach um, so I guess them transitioning um, their bowl game versus LSU I believe it is um, they're going to end up having um, Drew Brees part of the staff you think Drew Brees wants to be a coach he's uh, definitely done with the broadcasting experiment so when they asked him if this was to lead to few further coaching opportunities his answer was no oh just so for, just he has said he has said hey man they had asked me to come help with the transition but that's what I'm here to do so I mean, maybe he'll get the bug from doing it for this, but uh, he says not. But as of right happening. now, his answer is no. 
I mean, we've seen that he's already tried announcing his kind is of step back. Is he done with that. the broadcasting stuff? I, I think he he's probably done doing from it? doing it at that level where it's that much of a time commitment. Yeah. I just, it seemed like he maybe didn't want to be away from his family and off the, on the road as much as he was. Yeah. That it might be that. a thing of like, you know what? If you want me to do, you know, one game a week where I fly in and do color on a game, that may be like college football or something like that. That may be an easier job description of yeah. I'm on the road for two days. You but know. the dollar figures are throwing out for those broadcasters now. It's they want nice. a commitment because they, they are paying a ton of money. They're paying top dollar. So I, I get the commitment, uh, but I'm with you. I don't know. I just think he's trying to figure out what he wants to do. And, hey, maybe, you know, coaching, maybe it does spark something in him. Yeah. Um, and but, also, I mean, he's still got young kids. You never With guys like that, it's true. sometimes you're like, yeah, once my kid gets a little bit older, then, yeah, yeah, I, then I can go into coaching or I go back into broadcasting. But right now, I'd rather, you know, watch my kid grow up. Yeah, unless you're I Tom feel, Brady. Well, <laughs> Tom's a different kind of cat. Hey, he got them titles, though. <laughs> hey, he got them titles. He's like, Drew, what really matters around here, okay? <laughs> your kids and your family are these rings. <laughs> and Drew's like, my kids and my family, actually. I'll take those any day over your rings. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll come back. We'll get into uh, some Cowboys discussion. Cowboys versus the Jacks. We'll preview that. Jerry Jones, he will not let the Odell Beckham Jr. story go. And now we hear... It may be a rogue mission for Jerry Jones. We'll talk about that. We'll preview Texans versus the Chiefs. Tyron Smith at right tackle. Man, Cowboys are breaking out all the options, trying to solve their issues with Terrence Steele going down. We'll talk about that. It's more, all that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9 The Horn.